1: And I can't think of anybody who knows more about sustainability that works for any city in Georgia than Andrew Saunders, the Central Services Director for athens clark County. Welcome back to the show. It's good to be back. Thanks for having me. You know, I I do a lot with cities. Every Thursday morning, I do a stream called Community Focus. And so I have city leaders from across Georgia on the stream. We do a little focus on human trafficking. We do a good citizen segment. And we do a clean energy segment and there are a lot of cities that want to do the kind of stuff that you're doing but they either don't have the know-how they don't have the uh the institutional knowledge they don't have the money or a funding source uh and uh and and maybe this is kind of their first venture into this job but you've been in this
2: job for quite a while haven't you Yes, I've been working on sustainability initiatives for nearly seven years now. And prior to that, I was actually the community forester for Athens. So I've kind of always had my hand in environmental initiatives. You were a forestry
1: undergrad and a forestry master's. How has that helped you as you have thought about sustainability?
2: Uh, It's been great because the reality behind sustainability in an urban environment is you figure out what nature does and you mimic it. Right? So if it's gonna be making energy from the sun, lo and behold, there's a whole natural system that does that. If it's about how to clean water, again, our, our environment already does that. And so it, it's almost a little bit like cheating. Come to find out, sustainability is more about managing people than resources because the resources have already got a model.
1: Wow, that is cool. And I often talk about how trees, and we have 26 million acres of, of pine trees in Georgia, that they eat CO2 for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, right? They do, absolutely. Yeah. And even a midnight snack. Yeah. It's important what they're doing as they grab that and and hold that and understand the younger
2: the tree maybe the more they gobble up think about it like your own child they grow very fast and then over time as they mature and to some degree resources become limited that growth slows however they are bigger so for instance i'm I'm a pretty big guy if i if i gain two percent that's really significant compared to my 10 year old daughter who might gain two percent so there's some trade-offs, but at the end of the day, they're very good at sequestering CO2, cleaning water, providing wildlife habitat. Come to find out we all like trees.
1: As you think about your tenure, uh, the 8 years, you know, that you've been working, what are some of the projects you're most proud of?
2: You know, it's to be quite frank, the project I'm most proud of was a greenway. Not for its sustainability impact, but because we had a very difficult landowner and a very restricted site. Um, And the work of somebody in my office made sure that that property owner, we could have both a greenway and a homeowner stay in their home, that we didn't even have to think about condemnation or something like that. And I know that's a bit off topic for this call, but it's again, it's the people. It always comes down to the people, the environment we can do. Uh, it just so happens that that greenway has a massive restor- natural area restoration as- associated with it now and is a uh, great alternative transportation as well. Uh, I've been able to do some large solar installations, been able to do a lot with energy conservation. And
1: you guys have been recently working on a solar plus battery facility. I mean, that seems like not only is that going to be something that individual homes and businesses and smaller operations do, but I think we're going to scale that up.
2: Oh, absolutely. So we're installing solar plus battery at what we call our family protection center. It's a portion of our public safety that deals with domestic and sexual violence. And so they are interacting with victims and and having research. And we're using this as actually backup power because that facility right now does not have backup power, which means that when the grid goes down for whatever reason, we have to transport evidence off-site to preserve its quality. Uh, We also have to meet with victims in a a less preferable facility if if it happens during a power outage.
1: Would you say that solar plus batteries is like a generator and is it different in any way?
2: Uh, Well, so one of the main differences is that you get used uh, 365 days a year. So the way that we're going to set up this system is that Uh, When there's not an emergency, we're actually going to be harvesting that solar energy and using it during very stressful, high cost times that the grid is available. So we'll be making more use of our renewable energy and actually decreasing costs not only for us, but for all Georgia uh, consumers. As you were looking at that
1: project what were some of the questions that you asked about the battery performance
2: so we want to know how many cycles it can go through what's the longevity and the warranty of it what's the chemistry uh you have to think about even something like how do you manage heat that comes in and out of those batteries what's your switching gear how are you going to move from grid power to exclusively battery power and what items are you going to fund so Uh, Where there's still room for improvement as a generator can generally run a whole building. And right now with a battery, we're going to focus on key systems. We want computer systems and security and certain, uh, let's say, refrigerators, things like that. But we might not power uh, Wi-Fi or um, heat just because we can get blankets. So if you mentioned about the heat of the
1: battery. So in case of an outage, the air conditions i guess on these
2: batteries is it going to be able to run and keep the batteries cool how does that work yeah we would wire in any supplemental air conditioning into the core circuits that the battery runs Uh, the other advantage of having a battery is our solar continues to produce during a grid outage so as you probably know without us without batteries when a grid goes down solar actually cuts off and that is to protect those electrical workers who are working on the grid. You don't want to have uh, undocumented electricity coming back in. With a battery, you can completely isolate that building, have the energy, use the solar, and not worry, and, and still protect those electrical workers. And you would call that uh, behind the meter solar?
1: Is that is, is that particular building behind the electric meter? Yes, sir, it is. Yeah. So. A lot of a lot of people have solar that's just going either back on the grid or their excess is going back on the grid, right? Yeah. Uh, and you've got the ability, I guess, in this case, to be able to continue to use that. Do you find that a lot of uh, of citizens who have solar are surprised when their system doesn't work during an outage?
2: Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, when I first got my solar, I, I was surprised until I started to think about it a bit more. As we think about batteries,
1: uh, you know, and the technology that we have now, I know lithium ion is a popular technology. And as you guys in Athens um, considered this, did you have any of the commissioners, uh, the mayor, anybody say, what about the recycling part of this were there questions about the production of did any of that come up or were they mainly just looking at the performance
2: No, it is it is a discussion both for batteries and for solar panels themselves is that we have to think of end of life the good news especially with batteries at the scale that you see in electric vehicles and in commercial buildings is that those those batteries have second and third lives after their primary use is over so for example there might be a time where a battery pack is no longer useful for a Tesla to go 300 miles, but is still more than ample to run one or two homes for back, for backup storage. Um, and so step one is to get the most out of it. And then you've got to transition to, well, how do you get back to those raw materials? What can you repurpose and what needs to be properly disposed of?
1: You know, I had a chance to come out for the ribbon cutting of your wastewater treatment solar facility. I'm surprised that more cities and counties haven't followed suit in this. Have you had good performance? How's that working out? Yeah,
2: it's been great. So in that case, it's actually in front of the grid. So we did that in partnership with the utility, which is Georgia Power. Uh, It's been very beneficial to both us and them. Uh, We see a line item on our bill for the savings we get from that agreement. Um, My Honestly, one of my favorite parts is six times a year we take sheep out there and graze around the panels instead of having to mow. What? It's, and it's just a great. I mean, I actually you, we have had times where we allow kids to come out and interact with the sheep. Why? That's incredible. And, yeah. and how
1: long does it take uh, a group flock, uh, covey? Well,
2: I don't know. What? what is, how long does it take those sheep to clear that grass out? So that site's about four acres, and usually they're there for a couple days. Wow. Yeah. And specifically sheep instead of goats because goats will climb on the panels and sheep won't. Wow. Well, that's you know that that's very clever, clever. And your panels track with the sun, right? They do. They're single axis, so that they go. Let's say if the sun goes east to west, they go east to west, but they don't worry about north and south with the seasons. And the mechanism is it an actuator? Is
1: it software? What what, what powers them uh, in, in moving with the sun? So
2: ours is very uh, different from most other communities. Ours is actually pneumatically powered. That there is a program that tells the uh, panels how much to move during different times of the year and then that's trued up with a photo sensor that makes sure that the sun is actually where it's supposed to be uh, or where the program says it'll be but when it comes to actually moving those panels instead of using say an electric motor it it uses compressed air and they all just kind of move one little bit at a time Wow. And, and I understand that people actually can line up a tour to see this stuff, right? We love for people to come see. So one of our most popular things is we do treatments, uh, tours of all of our water plants. And, and we do them on Valentine's. And couples come out and see how their <laughs> wastewater is treated. It's, it's, it's quite popular in Athens. Incredible. Well, when we come back, I want Andrew to talk about...
1: The things they're doing to save water. I mean, water's becoming an increasingly precious resource on the East Coast. It's already a precious re- resource out West, and they do water differently than we do. Talk about water. I want to talk more about EVs and some of the cool projects coming down the road. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters.
2: Energy Matters would like to thank Gas South for its support of the show. Gas South has a no-deposit policy and offers some of the lowest per therm rates in the state. Use the promo code MATTERS for a special deal. Gas South, the difference is good.
0: Gas South believes in the difference we can all make, like the difference in putting people first and showing that you care. For us, our difference is saving people money with our best rates and no deposit. And the difference we make in our community by taking care of our friends and neighbors and giving back 5% of our profits to help children in need. Learn more about what makes us different at GasSouth.com. GasSouth, the difference is good.
1: Tim Eccles, host of Energy Matters, here with Jeff Pratt of Green Power EMC. Jeff, more and more EMCs are offering solar to their members, and you're seeing it grow like crazy across rural Georgia.
2: Tim, you're right. Co-ops in Georgia are doing a great job of deploying solar across the state. In fact, they're leaders in the country with respect to engaging customers
1: and deploying large-scale solar to benefit all their members. Hey, contact your EMC and ask them about their solar energy policy, or just Google Green Power EMC. but how? We thank John Gornall and all the attorneys and staff at AGG for sponsoring our show. Hey, Tim Eccles, back with Andrew Saunders on Energy Matters. Welcome back, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Man, it's always good to have you on the show because you've got so much expertise, you know, in this area of sustainability. And you know, you're you're basically spending taxpayers' money, so you're you're having to be
2: really careful, aren't you? I am. And what I'm happy to report is on energy and water, we have saved taxpayers immense amount, amounts of money north of $500,000 per year have been generated from our investments in those spaces.
1: Yeah. And I mean, how appropriate you know, for Athens to be the home of the University of Georgia and hear this good report. Uh, we left off of segment one talking about water and teasing about, uh, about water. Uh, you uh, have done some things to help people save money on a water bill. We we mentioned that it's a precious resource, but also being able to help people lower their
2: water bills. So tell us a little bit about that. So fundamentally, step one, the the best tool we have is we actually have an automated meter infrastructure. So we have what most people would know of as smart meters. At any given time, I can look at every resident in Athens and find out who's leaking, where are those leaks, and, and what is the nature of those. We were able to take that into a neighborhood and actually had some external grant money to help work on energy and water conservation in one of our lower income neighborhoods in Athens. We had told this grantor we would save a certain amount of water. I wanna say it was 80,000 gallons a year. We doubled that on our very first project because we found a resident who had lived in this home for over 50 years. She knew she had a water leak. She would literally turn it off at the street. And when we went and asked her, hey, is, you, know, you got this leak, what's going on? And, and she said, I'm sorry, I just couldn't afford the repair and the water, and I have to have water. And so we were able to take some of this private money, it was, it was like a $600 fix, and save well over 100,000 gallons per year just from this one site. And then we had other sites we've discovered where, you can, where this is scalable. Wait a second. 100,000 gallons just out of that one area? Yes. Out of one residential home. One home. Literally what it was is there was a broken pipe in the ground and the water would just run full bore uh, anytime the meter was on. Wow. And she was probably getting water that had a few particles in it if it was It would broken. not be a water you would rush to want to
1: use. Sure. Wow. That's incredible. And what about this? This notification people receive if, if they're using water in the middle of the night, how does that work?
2: So, anybody who's a, a, a customer of our water system can sign up, they can opt in, they will get notification, they'll be able to immediately view their bill and usage trends, and they can opt in for notifications. So, if we sense uh, that you've got an unusual pattern, you'll get a text or an email, whatever you prefer. A lot of times, as somebody who left their hose on or their pool is running or they've developed a toilet leak they didn't know about. And so we have this opportunity for you to intervene early before you actually get unexpected bills.
1: And you guys have been using hybrids in your fleet for a long time. And Andrew, I've tried to make this case, uh, especially as a lot of my friends go electric and then they kind of, they kind of, uh, you know look down their nose at hybrids but if you move of uh, uh, the fuel economy from a vehicle to to getting 18 miles a gallon to 30 miles a
2: gallon I mean you're saving real money it's huge it's huge and the other thing especially in Athens which is fairly urban that people don't always think about is the idle time so for example one of our most successful hybrids that we run financially is the um, police interceptor hybrid it's a suv built off of the ford explorer we get just as many gallons of fuel and dollar savings from idle time out of those vehicles as we do from the amount they're burning running around doing their calls and so on and so i've actually presented to County commissioners and county managers across Georgia saying, Look, I don't care how you vote. I don't care whether you like the environment or not. This pays for itself in about a year and a half. You need to be buying this upgrade. I remember we traded a
1: 2006 BMW X3 that I had bought my wife used. She had always wanted a a BMW since I didn't get her that 78 BMW when we first got married. She opted actually for the blue station wagon because we were having babies. So I surprised her one day with the rose and a bmw x3 mm-hmm. and as that thing was coming out of warranty i said sweetie there's no way i'm gonna i'm gonna have this bmw out of warranty <laughs> uh, so we traded it uh at, w- with steve middlebrooks and my buddies at hayward allen we mm-hmm. traded it for 2006 prius my family thought i was crazy uh especially my boys this toyota technology on own the hybrid power trend that they have is absolutely incredible everybody's copied it and it is doing more i think to uh, these hybrid platforms that everybody's running now has just enabled america to use so much less fuel
2: absolutely and like you say toyota is the head and shoulders best at hybrids uh, they've got the they've got a hybrid Rav Four which has been very popular. Uh, they've actually announced that all of their vehicles will become hybrids, including the minivan and, and you know some of their truck models. And we find in my line of work that they actually tend to offer the vehicles that pay back the, the fastest as well.
1: We had both a 2018 Rav4 hybrid uh, and turned that in off of lease to uh, Hayward Allen and got a 2020. And recently, because I'm one of the vehicles I'm driving now is a natural gas truck, mm-hmm. uh, as I as as I'm promoting natural gas, particularly renewable natural gas. Uh, so I've got this truck wrapped, and um, so I didn't need the. The, the, the hybrid RAV4 any longer. So I called Steve Middlebrook to Hayward Allen and said, Steve, I know I'm in a lease and I'm only 15 months into it and I know you never can get out of these leases. He said, no, no, bring me the car. Right. I want to see it. I go over there, Andrew, and this is this is so telling of the times that we're in. And I don't know that, that there'll ever be an opportunity to see cars go up in value. Uh, I mean, normally they're depreciate, depreciating assets, but not only did they pay off my lease, yeah. they gave me a $1,900 check to boot. Uh, and uh, they said that people in California are paying $10,000 over list price on vehicles. And the second they list cars on their internet platform, People are calling, putting gun deposit on it, and flying in from out of state to buy the cars. Yeah. I mean, that's
2: incredible. It is. A lot of our first-generation Leafs that came off of lease in Georgia ended up in, in California and New York because they had such a demand.
1: Yeah. You know, I—, I As we think about the future, I know you guys have used the hybrids.
2: Do you see athens Clark really moving towards fully electric vehicles? Absolutely. So we actually have something we'll be bringing to our elected body in December to approve the purchase of 19 electric vehicles, pickup trucks, vans, uh, crossover vehicles, and sedans. Um, And and we feel like this is absolutely the future. And selfishly, as, as somebody who manages the fleet maintenance shop, we're very excited because it's gonna cut down on the amount of maintenance we have to do. What about
1: the dilemma of charging these 19 vehicles? And is it going to impact your power bill substantially? And will these people be driving them home? Or are they gonna to need to plug it in at home? How's that gonna work?
2: Well, we're going to work out some of those things. So first and foremost, we'll offer charging at county facilities. We already offer some, uh, but wherever we deploy a vehicle, we'll add it. We've uh, done some work with Georgia Power on their Make Ready program where they will come in and put in some of the core infrastructure at no charge to you. Uh, really makes that an easy decision to make. And the take-home vehicle is an interesting one. Uh, the question that we're going to have to try to – think through. I'm seeing some communities are actually uh, deploying chargers into their employees' homes. Some communities say, well, this is a benefit and therefore if you want to charge it at home, you need to figure that out. Uh, I tell you where uh, another area that I think is is not being discussed enough is you're seeing out of Ford right now, they're designing the vehicle to be backup power for your house in a storm. And if you think about our employees of government are in fact you know critical response we don't get to shut down much if anything during a, a disaster well now the employee being able to have power so that they can get phone calls and charge their 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 computers and things like that before they come in and help on this response is going to be really helpful
1: wow that's that's incredible i hadn't thought about a county employee getting getting that benefit you mentioned the the make ready is something that uh th- that i had georgia power put into their program in 2019 and just a shout out to my colleague tricia pridmore who uh who said you know tim i think this is a fantastic idea and recommended that we up the amount uh and so without commissioner pridmore's you know uh, you know behind the scenes cheering cheering me on i don't think we would have had 18 million dollars in make ready how does that help a county like yours
2: so it's not even only counties i want to point out that businesses and apartments will be can be huge benefactors of this but if you think about having an existing facility a parking lot a building whatever the single biggest cost of installing electric vehicle chargers is putting in the infrastructure below ground And so Georgia Power comes in and they connect with an easement from your electrical meter to to your panel and from your panel to wherever they need to be. And your commitment is that once they put all of that expensive infrastructure in place, you'll actually put the chargers, which can be fairly affordable. And so, it actually cuts our installation of electric vehicle equipment by about two-thirds in cost. Wow. I'm so glad to hear this. And
1: I'm hoping that next year, uh, as we do uh, another integrated resource plan, that we can do another $18 million, uh, or, or even more, because I really think companies, cities, counties, these businesses, they want to go electric, but they, it needs to be affordable. Yeah. So, we'll 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 keep our fingers crossed on that hey one more segment uh, when we come back with andrew saunders uh, this is tim Eccles. you're listening to energy matter stick around Hey, this is Tim Eccles. We talk all the time on Energy Matters about buying a used EV instead of a new one. Let someone else pay the depreciation. BMVW Auto Sales, one of our show sponsors, can fix you up. Go to their website at ev-hybrid.com to see the ever-changing inventory. BMW has every brand, every type of EV, and they'll even let you test drive it for three days, show you how to charge it, and drive it for maximum performance. That's ev-hybrid.com, ev-hybrid.com. Reducing pollution from the transportation industry is an important goal and few alternative vehicle fuels offer the distinct advantages of compressed natural gas. I myself drive an F-150 C&G pickup. Marlin Compression, part of Marlin Gas Services, is helping to usher in this clean energy future to the port of Savannah too. Not only is Marlin Compression a trusted provider of CNG for fleet fueling, they are also working with Port Fueling Center on a state-of-the-art CNG truck fueling facility. Learn more about the distinct economic and environmental advantages of using natural gas for trucking fleets of all sizes and explore all of Marlin Services by visiting marlincompression.com. That's marlincompression.com. Calculate your savings Today. Hey, Tim Eccles back on Energy Matters with Andrew Saunders, Central Services Director, Athens, Clark County, home of the University of Georgia. Welcome back, Andrew. It's great to be here. Andrew, we've talked about EVs, we've talked about water savings. Uh, I want to talk for a second about energy efficiency because one of the things I brought back from the Verge Conference maybe five years ago was this idea to help low income people to be able to get a new HVAC, insulation, get everything sealed up in their house. And we've rolled that out, but we're having trouble. And let me tell you why we're having trouble. We put a stipulation on this money saying that if it didn't bring an instant 10% savings on the bill, that that home was ineligible. And so what we've discovered in rolling this out in Atlanta and Athens, those were our two test markets, is that some of the smaller homes uh, that are here... Uh, they already had a relatively small power bill. Uh, yeah, granted they're inefficient, but getting that 10% reduction has been a challenge.
2: It can be, and it, it sometimes even the bill might be proportionally high, but the you know the building itself is quite small. We've done some energy conservation work in our communities and residential areas. And another thing that we're finding is sometimes you just have to get to a building stabilization thing before you can do energy conservation. So, for example, if a homeowner has their roof and ceiling falling in or there's literally visible holes through their crawl space to the ground, that needs to be addressed. It's an energy factor, but it's also a quality of life and a health factor. And I don't know, you know, it's very difficult for a utility funded energy program to address something like that it really takes partnerships with businesses and, and private sector and to some degree governments through things like block grants to be able to, to stabilize those places we
1: just put solar on my Hushton house uh creative solar usa um you hear about them um uh, on our show uh we put a small solar array but before i did that um when we first moved into the house, I put a- another foot of insulation in that house. I mean, as you think about things that really help people with a high energy burden, you know, do you see solar as being the answer or
2: is it insulation? No, it's always conservation first. And that, that's universal across sustainability. You know, even if you're thinking about water, before you build the new reservoir, you conserve from the reservoir you're drawing off of. Well, with energy, your payback is better. Your your results are better to focus on conservation conservation before you go and invest in, in renewable energy.
1: I recently received a Clean Energy Pioneer Award for in part my effort to bring net metering into the Georgia Power System. It was a pilot. Yeah. Uh, and I would say it was wildly successful, so much so that we exhausted the number of homes in megawatts, you know within 18 months. Have you heard about people who have had solar? Who started, uh, you know, and and converted over to net metering? Uh, were they surprised
2: about the difference it made? Yes, I have. Uh, uh, even Athens Clarke County was able to put some facilities into that program, and it, it is a significantly different value proposition. It also uh, can make the systems we design and deploy a bit more useful to the building itself because we might change our design profile a bit.
1: You know, as we go into this integrated resource planning period, and uh, you know, our listeners. Uh, Waking up, drinking drinking coffee, going integrated. What? Well, it it really is, Andrew. The the reason we don't need a Green New Deal, the reason we don't need a clean power plan, is that because when that 1991 legislature created this planning process, I'm going to say it was so perfect. That it's never been amended since that time. And I'll remind, you know, my political friends out there, this was a democratically controlled House and Senate and Governor's office that passed this plan in nineteen ninety one, and it has served us well. And as we enter into this planning period we do this every three years you know we're looking at doing more solar we're looking at doing some more batteries uh georgia power really wants to close a couple of coal units and i don't know andrew as we are experiencing high natural gas prices right now i am i am having second thoughts about closing these coal units so quickly. And I'm I'm, I'm just wondering, you know, okay, uh, yeah, it's got ash in it, and, uh, and it's, it's definitely not as clean as natural gas, but how important is the money, uh, the bill that people have? I mean, we're about to raise rates over natural gas prices next year, a couple of bucks per month. It, it could jump again with gas prices. They continue to go up. I mean, if you were in my situation, what would be
2: some of the things that you're thinking about? There's a balance. So when you talk about the energy planning, I want to give credit. The process is the process it's actually the the elected officials like yourself that have made it successful. That have been willing to diversify our energy mix, try new things when it's fiscally appropriate, decommission plants when it's appropriate. And so, uh, without that leadership, it would just be another planning effort. When it comes to our baseload, uh, it's not always popular with my environmental friends, but I certainly think that the nuclear plants are a phenomenal contribution to uh, cleaning our energy supply and. Creating creating reliability of prices and generation. I just have a lot, I still personally have a lot of reservations about coal plants. So I think the question is what kind of agreements can be made on natural grass purchasing? How much are those peaker plants used? To what degree can they be offset to some, you know, from natural uh, renewable sources? There's probably still a role for coal plants. Maybe if it's, you know, we want to close eight, you close six and hold a little of your powder dry. But I think the writing's on the wall long-term that they're not going to be economic Economically viable for our state
1: you know i'd love to hear from you our audience about this at either uh, matters radio on twitter or at my handle at tim Eccles. send me an email at tim at tim Uh because you know one of the things I, I think we're tasked with andrew is a reliable grid and uh, yeah we've been on track to close all of our coal plants probably by 2050 Um, But it seems like the Southern Company wants to accelerate that. And with this Texas thing that happened and the California outages, I'm just I'm sitting here going, okay, yeah, I mean, I I, I hate the money we're spending on coal ash. Uh, we, We get nothing for it. Uh, you know, I love all the big solar that we've done. Uh, I love the fact that natural gas is so much cleaner you know than coal and you turn off two scrubbers that you that you previously were running. but I'm, I'm just Andrew, I just feel this burden to make sure that we've got power when we need it and that we keep it at a price that's, that's fair
2: and reasonable. I suspect if you don't do those things it's a quick way to lose your job. so I, I, I understand that. I will point out with Texas that got a lot of traction, it was a major event, right? That was a real problem. As a government bureaucrat, I just want to give a shout out. There was some misconceptions that maybe it was wind or solar that had done that. It was actually a failure to prepare their peaker plants, natural gas and coal for cold weather. And it had been recommended, but sometimes reinvesting in infrastructure is not sexy. So uh, as you think about our energy mix, be sure that we're reinvesting in transmission and, and distribution and the plants themselves so that they are hardened for these more dramatic events because wherever you might be on what's happening with climate in our world, what we can promise you is that things are gonna be different and they're gonna be a little more, sometimes it'll be hotter, sometimes it'll be colder, sometimes it'll be wetter, sometimes it'll be drier. People get frustrated that we can't tell you it'll be exactly this on this date, well, I can't tell you it'll be more severe. And so we need to be prepared from an infra- infrastructure perspective.
1: Andrew, as much trouble as we've had building that nuclear power plant, the the, the end is in sight. Uh, you know, In 2022, third quarter, I think we'll turn on unit three for commercial operation and then second quarter, 2024. So it's been a long and, and winding road. But I tell you what that additional 2,200 megawatts of power will allow us to do. It will allow us to close a coal unit or two if we want to. Yeah. And that's certainly the way the Southern Company seems to be going. It's huge.
2: It is huge. And if you look to some of our clean energy counterparts in the world, uh, many of which might be in Europe, they see uh, nuclear power as a substantial step in, in meeting their climate objectives and sustaining reliable power. And I think, you know, as my kids come into the workforce, the question will be what do you do when those come offline what's the next technology will battery storage and and hydroelectric storage and other things be able to completely integrate with our renewables what role is there for traditional peaker plants there's a a lot of exciting things and a lot of big challenges ahead
1: yeah just in our final minute uh, we have been piloting a couple of battery projects Mm -hmm. big ones Uh, one's a 65 megawatt battery project just tied to the grid Uh, And I mean, as you think about the future, if we're going to be closing some additional coal plants and it does seem that that's the way everything is going, do you really see batteries playing a significant role or will it be hydrogen or something else in the future?
2: I think it'll be all of the above. I definitely think batteries because of the instantaneousness of being able to, to plug into the grid. I even think the old school of pumping water back and forth and using that for storage will continue to be an important factor.
1: And just in our last 30 seconds, biomass, uh, you know, I've been a big proponent of using these wood chips, uh, and I'm hoping to put some more megawatts into the IRP. You're still a fan of picking up that
2: slash on the ground and using it. From a forestry perspective, absolutely. Even the research shows that it's quite renewable. Just be sure that we're giving it a good feedstock and not burning uh, trash, so to speak.
1: Well, thanks so much for being on the show today.
2: Yeah, I enjoyed it.
1: Thank you. Back one more segment on the road, so stick around. I'm Tim Eccles. You're listening to Energy Matters. Hey, Tim Eccles here, host of Energy Matters. Solar's growing like crazy in Georgia, and I certainly say buyer beware. It's great to have companies like Creative Solar USA on the job. Russ, why do folks need to reach out to you?
2: Tim, we're going on to our 14th year, and we have the best staff and most experienced installers in the state to get the job done right.
1: You can find out more at creativesolarusa.com or call 770-485-7438. That's creativesolarusa.com.
2: this segment of energy matters is sponsored by hall booth smith this law firm works with over 88 fortune 500 companies and they have offices from brunswick to athens tifton to columbus and of course atlanta we'd like to thank hall booth smith for the great work they do with school boards hospitals cities and counties all over our state see more at hallboothsmith.com
1: Hey, Tim Eccles, back for one more segment on energy matters today on the road in Louisville, Kentucky, with my good friend, Chris Nelson. He's from the South Dakota Public Utilities Commission. And Chris, uh, the PUC in your state's like the PSC in my state.
0: We are. I mean, a couple of the similarities, we as commissioners are elected statewide in South Dakota, so we serve all the people of the state, Uh, oversee electricity, natural gas, telecommunications, and grain buyers. That's kind of the odd thing that uh, we're responsible for in South Dakota.
1: And our odd thing is that we're still responsible for the condemnation of railroad property, which I've only had one of those cases in 11 years where a church was battling a little local rail
0: company, and we ruled in favor of the church. Very good. Yeah, it's always fun to see what unique things each state is in charge of. Chris, being an
1: elected commissioner like me, I often tell people it's a little bit different than being appointed
0: by a governor. How do you explain that to people? The way I look at it is I'm responsible to each and every citizen of the state. They're my boss, as opposed to the governor being my boss. And I think that's a very different concept and, you know, not criticizing one method or the other of of, uh, arriving at a public utilities commission. But I personally like the idea of being responsible to every citizen of the state and thinking of them as my boss.
1: And I tell people, look, the advantage of this system is if you don't like what I'm doing, you can throw me out of office.
0: Absolutely. And the other thing I think it does is it forces me to get out and about in the state and really listen to people. I mean, I attend the fairs and the parades and the celebrations and the dinners, and that gets you out and about. And you're listening to real people with real problems and being able to answer their questions and deal with their issues. And I think there's a real value in that, as opposed to if you're not elected, you may. Be don't have that inclination to get out and about in the public
1: so in some ways Georgia is more like South Dakota than we're like Florida where the governor appoints those commissioners you know and of course many ways we're different from you all uh, your weather for example is way different how does the weather there impact energy regulation
0: you know probably the biggest impact is obviously reliability is a very very high priority for us and and I'll, I'll just simplify it to this to this point If electricity goes out in the wintertime for an extended period, people can die. I mean, it's that serious. And so we place a very, very high priority on making sure that we have reliable uh, utility services. It's that important. And reliability is really important
1: to me as well, because Georgia has been voted the best place to do business uh, by Site Selection Magazine for eight straight years. And reliability
0: is something that companies, particularly manufacturing companies, really want. Absolutely, and you know the thing that we're dealing with in the really the whole Great Plains area, uh, as it relates to reliability. You know, we had a real wake up call in February with that winter storm Uri that had the cold weather going all the way from Canada down to Mexico, where Texas had the real problems. And for the first time in history, we actually had some rolling blackouts in South Dakota, and so that was a real wake up call to us that as we're seeing this transition in the energy system and where we generate our electricity from that we've really got to pay attention to making sure that we've got reliable sources of electricity, even when the weather gets really cold for extended periods of time over large parts of the country. And that's maybe a dynamic that folks hadn't fully considered up to this point, but it's something that we're absolutely focusing on now. Something I don't
1: think our citizens think that much about, I think about it a lot, is the reserve margin of power that we have on any given day as we uh, as we have now a winter peaking state uh, in the mornings and a summer peaking in the afternoons say around four five six o'clock so you know as you think about that topic is is that something uh, that comes up
0: regularly at your commission or in your state you know it's something obviously again because of what happened in february we're starting to talk more about so a reserve margin is is calculated based on you know economics. It's it's calculated based on engineering principles. It's what they should have and that should be able to handle any of these type of contingencies. But as we found out in in February, when things go really south really quick, really south, uh, that's what we say up north, is that when things go bad really quickly, uh, that that reserve margin simply isn't enough. And so we've got to start looking at, you know, what's the appropriate margin for those times when everything goes wrong.
1: One of my concerns about this move away from natural gas to electrification, uh, and, and not letting cities uh, hook hook up new homes to natural gas, I'm seeing that in certain cities, not in your state, but not in my state. In fact, our legislature banned cities from being able to do that, uh, is the extra burden that it would put on the electrical grid as we turn people off of natural gas, you know, take those furnaces out of the home, and then put a heat pump in, which might cost them four thousand, six thousand, ten thousand, depending on the SEER rating of that. Is that a concern for you all in uh, in South Dakota as you think about? residential heating
0: with with natural gas or fuel oil. Absolutely. And again, going back to what we learned in February where for the first time we had these rolling blackouts. I mean, that told us how close to the edge this system really is when things go bad. And if you add a lot more electric load to the system, whether it be through electrification of home heating or and I'm going to I'm going to pick on electric vehicles and I know you're a fan of those, but as more and more people uh, subscribe and buy electric vehicles, that's going to add more load to to the system. And so we've got to be able to figure out how can we accommodate, you know, those new loads, even though the system is right on the edge, edge currently. And so that just adds to the challenge. In 2014, we had the power company, Georgia Power, created
1: an electric vehicle time of use rate uh, that provided uh, just a penny and a half per kilowatt power from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m., Uh, Monday through Friday uh, and it was it it was cheap all weekend long and what we discovered Chris is that people that had these cars that were incentivized uh, they were shifting their load actually using more power of course because they were charging that Tesla or that Nissan Leaf or that that Chevy Volt uh, back then in their garage but they reduced their overall bill because of load shifting and I think to me that's that is going to be the secret sauce for being able to add all these electric vehicles you've got to incentivize people to use energy when you have more of it
0: you know i absolutely agree with that it's just a kind of a magic thing you get what you incentivize and so if that's where we need to be consuming the electricity is during those off hours when we've got excess. And certainly in the Great Plains, we have excess wind energy uh, in the overnight hours. And so that's a, a certainly a way of doing that. But I think we also have to keep in the back of our minds that there may be those times, particularly in the winter, when, again, things go bad, that there may not be that electricity even overnight uh, when, when we're short on it. And so uh, I think anybody that's subscribing to electric vehicles, particularly in the Northern Plains, planes just need to have that in the back of their mind that there may be those times when uh, they aren't going to be able to charge those the way they normally would.
1: Let's switch to connectivity for a minute. I know that rural broadband, uh, that getting people connected in unserved areas has become increasingly important. The pandemic and Zoom calls, I think, showed us that we simply have to do a better job with that. Is that an issue in South Dakota?
0: Absolutely. It's really been the my main focus as a commissioner over the last 10 years is getting broadband to places that haven't. We've made tremendous progress in South Dakota over the last six years. Uh, when you look at 10 megabit service, we've gone from 55% of the state covered to over 90%. So we've made great strides, but that still means we've got almost 10% of the state where we don't have even that basic broadband. And folks in those areas, they don't have the economic opportunities, the education opportunities, the healthcare opportunities, the the social interaction opportunities that everybody else does. And the way I, I uh, speak about it is those folks aren't in the 21st century yet, like the rest of us. And it's imperative that we make sure we work with our private companies to get broadband to every single location in the state so that those folks have the same opportunities that everywhere uh, everybody else does. And that's not True, just in South Dakota, but in rural states across this country, you know, those are the spots we've got to work quickly to get taken care of. You know, today Congress has appropriated uh, hundreds, even billions of dollars to try to finish this this process. And we need to make sure that as that money comes down into the states that it gets spent wisely – to get Internet to these places as opposed to maybe overbuilding places that already has Internet. So we're going to have to be vigilant in how those uh, those new federal dollars are spent.
1: As you think about innovation and technology and connectivity in the future, and I, I deal with a lot of Tesla people who love Elon Musk and view him almost as a cult figure. And honestly, his you know platform on his car is is amazing, and the stuff he's doing with space. I mean, who would have ever thought a private individual could do that? Do you see these little satellites that they're dropping out in low orbit? Uh, you know, they've got hundreds of them up there, and they drop some out every time they send a
0: rocket up. Do you see that as part of the solution? It's a piece of the puzzle of solving the issue uh you know i think some people think that might be the silver bullet it is not the capacity that those low earth orbit orbit satellites will have is not sufficient enough to really cover the entire need that is out there but there'll be some niche places where that's going to make some sense that we're not going to get wired broadband out to uh so it's part of it but it's certainly not the silver bullet just
1: in our last minute um do you see that? Do you see coal on its last leg, or do you see the rise in gas prices as possibly resurrecting or keeping some coal plants running that maybe
0: had been slated to close? You know, I, it may delay the closure to some extent, but my understanding is most of the companies have pretty much got their retirement plans for those companies figured out, and so we're on a glide path. Our challenge is making sure that we've got base load uh, that can step in and cover those coal plant closures. Again, going back to that reliability discussion we had very early on, it's imperative.
1: Well, that's great stuff. It's been great being being friends with you for these many years. Thanks for your service to South Dakota residents.
0: Tim, appreciate being
1: on and thank you. Hey, this is Tim Eccles. Thanks for listening to our show today. Have a great weekend, everybody, because energy does matter.